0: Turn, if you will, to the book of Acts. That'll be Acts chapter 21. And we'll be uh, reading through verse 14 in Acts chapter 21. I'll read reading out the New King James Version, which is my custom. Acts 21, verses 1 through 14, God's Word declares, Now it came to pass, that when we had departed from them and set sail, running a straight course, we came to Cos the following day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. In finding a ship sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had sighted Cyprus, we passed it on the left, sailing to Syria, and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload their, her cargo. In finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. They told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. When we had come to the end of those days, we departed and went our way. And they all accompanied us with wives and children, till we were out of the city, and we knelt down on the shore and prayed. We had taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship, and they returned home. And when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Ptolemais, greeted the brethren, and stayed with them one day. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea, and entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said this, or I'm sorry, thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt, and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when he would not be persuaded, we ceased, saying, The will of the Lord be done. Well, we have finally finished up with our visit with the Ephesians, both by Paul's visit in the church and also with the elders on his way to Jerusalem. Uh, we have, uh, is probably one of my favorite parts of the book of Acts, to tell you the truth, and that's why we spent so much time on it. Um, that relationship between uh, a pastor, his people, a missionary, uh, and, the, and the pastors of the churches that he established there in that region. And we've learned a great deal about not only how to do ministry, um, but what it means to be a church family and the responsibilities that go along with that, the expectations of the uh, role and the office of pastor, as we looked at last week extensively. Well, maybe not extensively, because it was a pretty short message last week. Um, And interestingly... Pastor Leachman wasn't in the room on the on the sermon on pastors last week. Somehow you got in the nursery or something, and so uh, I was just preaching to myself. And you'll have to get that one. But uh, we come now to chapter 21, and we're going to see now the the uh, pretty quickly the uh, balance of Paul's trip um, as Luke is going to be describing it, and he's going to be describing it in detail because he's with Paul at this point. Uh, as are a good number of other men traveling with him. And let me remind you who we're dealing with in chapter 21. We have an entire uh, representation, really, of the uh, regions where Paul has been ministering. Back up to chapter 20, and you'll begin to see who's traveling with him. Uh, Verse 4 of chapter 20. It says, Sopater of Berea accompanied him to Asia, Aristarchus and Segundus of Thessalonian of the Thessalonians and Gaius of Derby and Timothy and Tychicus and Trophimus of Asia. And of course we can add in there Luke because he uses the first person plural and so when we're talking about Paul's travel companions this is the group that we're talking about and the evidence is that he may have even picked up one or two others in the midst of traveling through these regions what these men were doing how uh, were to travel with Paul to Jerusalem uh, we often think of us, and we go and visit uh, in India and Peru and Haiti, we go and visit our brethren there that we minister alongside of. In this instance, the churches, we're going to send representatives with Paul to uh, encourage him and support him, but also to participate in uh, this uh, opportunity to share what Christ is doing up in these other lands. Uh, the church in Jerusalem, as we're going to find out next week more so, um, has still been pretty isolated. Uh, we're going to find them making some statements that evidence that they're still, after all these years, remember, it's been over 20 years, maybe as much as 35 years, and they're still a little disconnected with this Gentilian ministry of Paul. They're still dealing with the, uh, well, we heard this about you, and and uh, and we've heard, and it's okay for the Gentiles to do their thing, but we have another set of rules for here in Jerusalem. And we're going to see how that plays out and the problems that it causes when you have two different classes of Christians um, and how difficult it is to have a church when you have this classification and this classification. That's really what's going to come out later on in the contention between Paul and Peter that is rehearsed for us um, as well. that, That here Peter is fine with it until other Jews arrive. And then, oh well, now we have to sit in separate parts and act differently, Uh, and that really is representing what's going on in Jerusalem. So these representatives are coming really to give testimony of what God has been doing in in Achaia, in Greece, in in, uh, uh, areas of Macedonia, uh, as well as in Asia, uh, of Turkey, that that region of modern-day Turkey, uh, described as Ephesus, and, and areas like that, as well as Paul's first missionary journey in Asia Minor. And so we have these representatives traveling with Paul, aiding him in ministry. We have some young men that are also being trained for ministry to take Paul's place. Um, we're going to find a group like Timothy and Titus that we have a couple of books, several books of the Bible named after um, that are letters to these young men who are going to be engaged in ministry. And so Paul is traveling with them. These individuals um, have a deep regard for this man. And I think that needs to be reminded as we approach their reaction to what's going on. Um, Is the deepness of their affection for Paul, their respect for him. Uh, This is the man who brought them the gospel. This is the man that has worked with his own hands to provide them food. Remember, that was his testimony. Is that I don't go out and just get money from people. I work and make tents. And I pay not only my own way, but I pay the way for all of these companions of mine too. He was paying their their passages. He was paying for their food. He was caring for them. He took that responsibility for uh, for them. And uh, we find him traveling uh, and he's still caring for them. So they have a deep respect for him. They have seen him minister for years and years. Some of these men uh, have have been involved in minister with him for over a dozen years. They know he's the real deal. They know that uh, that he speaks the truth, that he he has a passion for Christ and for his word. And uh, they're responding. They're wanting to learn from him uh, how to be better ministers to Jesus Christ. And so they are there as representatives of their churches, but also there um, because of their Interest and support and respect for Paul. And so they have that dual relationship, if you will, sensing a deep responsibility to fulfill the, the charge given to them by their church. Uh, many have considered that they are bringing financial gifts to Jerusalem during this time. Uh, Jerusalem is in the midst of some problems of, uh, of um, uh, famine And so the very strong likelihood is Paul says, I don't don't carry money. (laughs) If you want to send money to the churches, you send it by one of your representatives. I'm not going to do that. Um, He has that much of an aversion to being involved in the financial aspects of ministry. His focus is on the gospel message and that entirely. And so some of these would have certainly brought gifts from uh, those churches to care for the church there in its struggle in Jerusalem, and we learned that uh, largely from the letters in Corinth, to Corinth. So we come, and we're going to find the, the journey uh, commencing from, remember we sailed past uh, Ephesus uh, to uh, make sure that we didn't spend too much time there because of the affection between him and that church. And so we come to verse 1 of 21, and we find them now setting a pretty, uh, uh, as, as far as they could get, passage on ships. Uh, the, there was no Carnival Cruise Lines, <laughs> um, there was no TWA, uh, that's an old one now, what is it now, Southwest Air, Northwest, line, whatever, uh, there was no airline, there was, they're just going to pick up passage on cargo ships as they could, uh, by and large, and so they're picking up ships, um, and you'll find them every here and there, unloading their cargo, and that's where the line ends, and they're heading back to pick up more, uh, and so they have to find another ship. And so we'll find them having several layovers. And we think an hour layover in an airport is so bad, th- there might be a week layover between that and another ship coming in. Um, but they're making their way steadily across the Mediterranean. Um, they have arrived. And certainly once they're in the region, um, they can relax because the, the pressing nature of the trip is we want to get to Jerusalem in time for Paul to fulfill his vow. And uh, you might think, well, that's a pretty simple thing. Just work it out in your, in your uh, travel log. Um, but the fact is, is that um, travel wasn't always as reliable as it is today. As we're going to see on Paul's trip later on in Acts when he's trying to head to Rome. And there are shipwrecks. There are being stranded here and there. These kind of things are very frequent in the Mediterranean. And so Paul's giving himself enough time. So by the time he gets to Caesarea... Um, he's got some time on his hands because we're only a short day travel to Jerusalem and there he's going to spend, it says, many days. But all along the way, as we read this earlier this morning, we found something keeps happening in every port, it seems. They disembark, they are there, and the first thing they do, and this is great, by the way, when they disembark, the first thing they do, we got to find where the church is. We're going to go find the believers. We're going to find those of like faith and practice. Um, whether they're there for a day or a week, um, their focus is we're going to find those people of faith here. We're going to encourage them. And we're not going to try to to uh, minister outside of what they're doing. We want to go in, encourage them. We want to go in there and work alongside of them. And uh, certainly uh, we might see them uh, uh, receiving some of the hospitality there in that In those circles, but we find that while they're making that a priority, which I love, and which we need to see a lot more of, that that needs that when we arrive in a new place, that one of the first things we want to do is find out where the people of God, where they at, those that are like faith and practice, and uh, that we can join with them very quickly. But we find that uh, when they find disciples they are being confronted with some bad news over and over again. And it's a theme that we already saw uh, in the early parts of their travel. And it seems that the closer they get to Jerusalem, the more intense this message is. And it's uh, culminated here in verse 4 and then later on through the prophet Agabus. But let's re- look at verse 4. It says, and um, finding the disciples, we stayed there seven days. They told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. That's point blank. Now this we have, we have a problem, don't we? We immediately have a problem. Here are some individuals who say uh, through the Spirit that is that the Holy Spirit is giving me this message that you really probably shouldn't go up to Jerusalem, and we're going to have Agabus kind of joining that with his very visual statement of, this is what's going to happen to you when you get there. Um, and everyone's saying, please don't go. Well, we have a counterbalance to that that we studied several weeks ago, a month ago. And that is that the Spirit had told Paul that he needed to get to Jerusalem. And all that would happen there, that the Spirit was driving him there. You might say, well, how can that be? How can the same Spirit be Pressing a man to go to Jerusalem, all the while that same one and same spirit is impressing upon everyone else to warn him about going to Jerusalem. Doesn't this seem to be a, a, a conflict? There, there's a problem here. And uh, how can both of these be of God? And we've studied a little bit in the past about the difference between a, our understanding of a purpose of warning And a biblical understanding of the purpose of warning. Our understanding of the purpose of warning is to avoid trouble. Right? That's why we have warning signs on the highway. And the more weird the trouble is, the more warnings we have. We have lights flashing, we have big lights, uh, big signs when you go on this I 40 work and they keep changing the traffic pattern. They have all those signs up there because you need to be warned. They're trying to help you avoid uh, an accident. They're helping you to avoid running into their workers or uh, flying off a uh, bridge that doesn't exist, something like that. And so we understand warning to be that which is to help me avoid problems, avoid trouble. But when you look through much of Scripture, I don't know that the Bible uses it in that fashion quite as often as we understand it to be. And here Paul is being confronted with warning after warning after warning. Bad things are waiting for you in Jerusalem. Really bad things. You're going to be in prison. You're going to have your liberty taken away. Um, Agabus's declaration is very clear and Paul, this is going to happen to you. No evidence is going to happen to any of the companions that are with you. Um, it is going to be you, particularly, that is going to be bound. Uh, we're going to even we even know who the who the perpetrators are. In verse eleven, it says, "When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his hands and feet, and said, this, thus says the Holy Spirit: so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt.'" And deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So now we are at Caesarea by the sea. We are really in a very short trip over to Jerusalem by land, going inland. Um, And Agabus is saying the Jews are going to arrest you. Is this starting to sound familiar? They're going to turn you over to the Gentiles, um, and that's where you're going to be kept. No indication of what happens after that. But to every Christian, this scenario sounds familiar, doesn't it? You're going to go up to Jerusalem, the Jews are going to betray you, they are going to want you killed, and because they don't have the authority to do that, they're going to turn you over to the Gentiles, and they're going to mob up and yell, crucify him! Sound familiar? Now it's starting to sound familiar. And so you can understand that Luke and his fellow travelers, in their great concern for Paul, the one that they are uh, to some degree uh, just committed to his safety, uh, are saying, let's not go to Jerusalem. Vows are vows, but it's obvious the Holy Spirit is giving us all these warnings. Let's avoid the trouble. And that is generally mankind's response to biblical warning. But the fact is, particularly in the New Testament, most biblical warning is not to help you avoid, but to endure. It is not there to help you avoid trouble. It is there to prepare you to endure it. And so when Jesus Christ takes his disciples of away in, in Matthew 24, and he sits them down. They ask him a few questions. You know, when will all these things happen? We talk about the fall of Jerusalem and the end of time, uh, the end of the age of the, of the, uh, before he sets up his kingdom. He takes them aside and he gives them this warning. He says, listen, this is what's going to happen to you. Men are going to hunt you down. They're going to think that they're going to kill you and think they're doing a service to God by doing so. Now, was that so that those men could avoid it? Or was it a warning to help them endure it? You're going to have your own family members turn on you and betray you to authorities. Your own family members are going to want you killed, imprisoned. Is that so you can avoid or endure? And he goes through all of these warnings and then they stretch into the end times where we live today. And, of course, we've studied that extensively Sunday night in our study uh, there of Revelation, particularly in the sealed judgments. And we see warning after warning of what is to be expected in the end times. Is that so that we can avoid it or endure? Again, the instruction of God's Word over and over again is stand fast. I've told you ahead of time. Not so that you can go Hide your head somewhere and uh, avoid it all. And some have taken that tact towards God's warning. Well, this is the warning: I need to go hide. I need to avoid it all. I, need, I, I, want, I don't want to experience any of that. It's it's injurious. It, it, it's hard. It, it's cause for weeping. It's painful. I want to avoid all of that. And God didn't tell us that so that we could avoid it. He warned us of all of that, that we might endure it. And this is a different mindset than most Christians today, especially in the Western church. And by the Western church, I mean not Eastern, not Middle Eastern. Europe, America and those that have been influenced heavily by us. In the Western church, our idea of suffering for our faith, um, we think we're suffering our, for our faith if the air conditioning breaks down and we still come to church. Or if Pastor Leeson announces we're pulling weeds Wednesday night and I still show up with gloves in hand and tools, that I'm suffering for my faith. You know, we we, we have those kinds of ideas of suffering, and yet we are... Often disconnected with just how necessary it is that we demonstrate our faith through endurance, much more than just expecting to be healthy and wealthy. You see, we listen to television preachers who have said, "Oh, you send me this much, and God will multiply it by a hundredfold in your wallet right after you send it." Um, and, And then, if that doesn't happen, we think we've suffered because we didn't get healthy and wealthy from our faith. Not recognizing that there are those who are being slaughtered today because they refuse to deny Christ and make the statement, there's no God but Allah and Muhammad is His prophet five times in a row. So the Bible warns us again and again by the Spirit of what is ahead of us. Of what the end times will look like. And we go to passages in in, in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, we go to passages in 1 and 2 Thessalonians, we look at Matthew, we look at Revelation, and we go, oh, I don't know if I want to live that, that part of the world, that time or period. I want to avoid it. But those passages are all given to us to brace us, to prepare us, so we have a mindset to a, to not just to um, somehow weasel through without getting hurt, but rather that we have a mindset that I am prepared to endure all of it and even more for God's glory. That I am here as His servant. And Paul's declaration needs to be our declaration we confront warning in Scripture. Now when that warning says... Do not sin, or this will happen. That's a different nature. The expectation is you're going to not do that sin so you can avoid the punishment of that sin. But when God comes to his people and says, This is how the world is going to treat you. But don't worry, I have overcome the world. This is how they're going to be slaughtered. But don't worry, when the end comes, justice will reign. Don't fret when you lose family members who deny you because you hold to Christ. It's okay. You have to almost, your love for me has to appear as hatred for your family in comparison. And so we have this warning system for the believers given to us by the Holy Spirit. But right alongside those we have these statements by the Holy Spirit. Stand fast. Watch. Be watchful. To the end, he who endures to the end will be saved. We have these statements declared throughout God's word that says, "Listen, the warning stands not for you to avoid trouble, but that in the midst of it you can have a strength to stand." Last weekend we got stranded in the Zuni Mountains because of a freak storm, and um, I was able to sit down with both some of the young adults that were there, and then also because I was the shuttle driver, also with some of the little youngest of the ones that are up there. Um, and uh, normally, there would be a lot of complaining. But they recognized that this is something way out of any of our control, that we were going to do everything we could to try to get unstranded. And there was an immediate sense of the danger involved. And while we all would have liked to have avoided it, those little conversations I had with those little groups, and I didn't have them all together, just with little groups, and so I told all the, here's what I told all the young people, I told them, okay, I'm bringing the little children over back to camp. They got, in, you know, they almost flipped that van, it's a mess, I said, they need you to not be worried. They need you to have a good attitude. They need you to, see, to, to be confident and to be helpful. And we need you to keep these young people from being scared. The, the children. So then I'm bringing the children back over in the thing before I ever get to <laughs> dropping them off at the camp. I said, listen, kids, we need you to cooperate. Everyone's got a lot of work to do. We can't have you... Um making trouble right now. We got a lot of things to cover and we just need you to really be helpful. And, and if you're afraid, just talk to somebody. But, but we're going to take care of things. We're going to call your families. Everything's going to be all right. And so we dropped them off. And, and the only thing I told the men was, when you hear my truck in the morning, get up. Because <laughs> we're going. Uh, it means that things have cleared out enough that we can get. Um, why all the warnings? Not to avoid, but so that we can endure. Because once you're prepared mentally, once you're prepared in your heart and you recognize this, everything changes. So when we're out playing volleyball and torrential rain starts to fall, we run to avoid it into the barn. But when there's a van almost flipped over in a ditch, we all run out there in the rain and work until it's out. What's the difference? A mentality has changed. Now we recognize this is significant and and if I get wet, I get wet. Well, brethren, if these are the end days and things are going to be as bad as God's Word tells us it's going to be, we need to have a mentality that says, listen, it is so vitally important that I be out here and live my faith in front of people, that I live my My Christian life, not just because it's easy, but because it's hard. Because the world is going to call me a bigot or like that's a hard thing in this world. Because they might take away my company, my business, my job. That's when I have to live my faith fully. That's when it's most important that I live it. And I have to embrace the warnings of God's Word, not seeking to avoid, but seeking to endure. And recognize that now, when before I might have run out of the rain into avoidance, now I'm running out into the rain to endure. Because I recognize that there is a shortness of time. And that there is a great danger. And that if these people don't hear the gospel now, they will never be able to respond. Because once Christ comes with His wrath, there's no hope. Today is the day of salvation. And so, Paul here is being warned by the Spirit. Yes, we've been warned by the Spirit in the Word of God what the last days look like. But we have also equally been commanded by the Spirit in God's Word not to avoid that but to endure it. To be braced up in our mind and to be able to run out into the trouble and declare the truth and take the lumps that come with it. Because we're ready for those lumps. We're ready for that to 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 fall on us. And here I, I watch these little girls tiptoeing around the camp trying not to get dirty, out there grubbing in the mud to get that van out. What changed? Their mindset. And that's what this warning is all about. He is getting, Paul is thinking, I'm going to go down there. This is going to be a lovely trip to Jerusalem. I'm going to go fulfill my vow, shave my head and fulfill all this. It's going to be a wonderful time of worship. This is just going to be great. And all along the way, God's changing his mentality. Um, it's no longer a worship trip. Not in the sense of what you were planning. It's going to be a different kind of worship now. This is going to be a trip where you're going to suffer to glorify my name. His companions, though, haven't embraced that, and so they're coming to Paul. (laughs) And um, verse 12, it says, Now when we heard these things, we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. Oh, please don't go there. Let's just stay here at Caesarea. This is a beautiful place right on the Mediterranean. I mean... And if you've ever been there, it's gorgeous. okay? Beautiful climate. I mean, the Romans are here. There's hardly any Jews here to bother us, certainly none of the religious leaders. Um, this is just a nice. Let's just stay here. We know what's going on over there, and they're thinking avoidance, avoidance, avoidance. And then here comes Paul. And Paul, what do you mean by crying and breaking my heart? He's about ready to rebuke them. He is rebuking them. They're weeping for him because they know that something bad is going to happen. But they don't know the full story because the story ended with him being turned over to the Gentiles. We're going to see the full story. It's not to death. They're thinking of crucifixion like Jesus By the way, remember what Jesus said to Peter when Peter tried to help him avoid the cru- Jerusalem? Get behind me, Satan. So here's Paul coming to his command and saying, Why? What's with all this weeping? Why are you breaking my heart? We have professed for all these years to trust in God. God has warned us that there's some trouble brewing in Jerusalem waiting for us. Do we avoid it? No. He's given this to us so we might... Endure it. It says, I am ready not only to be bound. That's what's been told. We know that I'm going to be arrested. That's all we really know. But also, I'm ready even to die, Jerusalem, for the name of the Lord Jesus. This is the heart. I'm going to endure to the very end. I'm going to take whatever gets thrown at me and I'm going to do it not to because I'm a stubborn, ordinary cuss, but because I'm doing it to please... Jesus Christ, I want his name to be praised. Now, what did the Spirit reveal to Paul? The Spirit revealed to Paul that he would have to give an account of his faith to kings. Plural. And I will contend with you that Jesus' testimony never went that far. There was Herod and Pilate. That was it. Paul is going to answer to multiple kings and ultimately to Caesar himself. So the binding wasn't the end of his life and ministry, it was a transition of his life and ministry. But his heart is shown in this statement I am prepared. Do you see it there? (laughs) I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. I'm ready. I'm prepared. Why? Because God has sent me all these warnings to frame my mind around the fact that I'm going to go in there and, and when it comes, I will be ready to please Him. I'll be ready to serve Him. I'll be ready to praise Him in the midst of trouble. And the most disgusting thing is when Christians get maltreated by the world exactly the way God warned us we would, and then complain about it. There's no reason to complain about. It. We should have a mindset that says, "Well, God's word said this would happen, and so when it happens, I recognize this as a transition from my comfortable Christianity to my on the road, active, in danger Christianity, which isn't less Christian, but more Christian. Not less useful, more useful." is my contention. Paul here says, I'm ready. Let's head into Jerusalem. Let's go. And that needs to be the mentality of the church today. We can sit here and wring our hands over all the junk we see around us, over beheadings in, in the Middle East, and, and think that nothing can stop Islam. But if you're listening to the news that isn't in the news, um, there are many of these fighters that are turning to Christ themselves. You just don't hear about it. Yeah, ISIS guys who have split throats are getting saved. You don't hear about that, though, do you? We wring our hands and we look at Supreme Court rulings and we see the world around us just seem to go right straight into the toilet and we go, Oh, you were warned. This is not a time to go hide in a hole. This is a time to jump up and prepare to get dirty and to get out in the rain and to get busy. Because we have a mindset that recognizes all of this is part of the end. And so there's a shortness, there's an urgency, there's a great need that demands more of us than to walk around and cry baby over ourselves. Poor me, poor me, poor me, poor me. And Paul says, how can you do this? You're breaking my heart doing that. I'm ready to go to Jerusalem. I'm ready to get arrested. I'm ready to die if that's what God wants. I'm ready. All this message has gotten my mind and my heart ready to endure, to stand, to embrace it. I'm ready. So when it comes, I'll say praise the Lord and I'll rejoice at the opportunity to worship and to serve Him, not complain and be embittered. The warnings enable us to confront it and say, oh, I was expecting you. With a smile on our face, I was expecting you. Are you here to arrest me? Take away my business? I was expecting that. Who told you God did in His Word? Right here. I've been expecting you. And so, finally, the people respond. They realize. And they respond to the rebuke in verse 14. They said, the will of the Lord be done. And oh, that we would have that kind of settledness in our hearts. God warned us that it would happen. Therefore, it will happen. We must, through much tribulations, enter into the kingdom of God. That's in Acts. Point blank. He has warned us, not to avoid it, but to endure it. And so our response, as we see it happening Is this is exactly what God foretold? This is exactly what God has warned us, and now we need to be ready to put our hands to the tools of work, of ministry, more than ever. And as we read into the the balance of this chapter and in the next chapter, I'm going to keep bringing back to you over and over again: Where are His companions? And you're going to find they're faithful to Paul. They're faithful to him all the way to Rome. They're faithful. Because they have a settledness that understands this is the will of God. And it is changing Paul's ministry. It is not the end of it. So when we respond to warnings in Scripture about suffering for the namesake, um, we can very easily try to duck and cover and try to avoid... That's not its purpose. The world desperately needs Christians who will run out in the rain prepared to get muddy to rescue the lost because of the direness of the hour and not sleep in the hammock and think the storm will never touch us. Lord God, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for all your warnings that you've given by your Spirit. And by that same Spirit, all those instructions for us to stand fast, to watch, to endure. Lord, help us to change our thinking. And recognize that we are the adversaries of the world because they hated you, they will hate us. And Lord, help us to recognize that friendship with the world is to be at odds with you. That we expect the enemy to act as an enemy. But we'll serve you faithfully, Lord. Give us that heart, that mind, and a settledness to recognize that you knew this day would come. You've given us the strength and the will and the spirit to stand in the midst of it, not to run and hide from it. And so, Lord, we pray that we might be willing to speak your word of truth and not be silenced, but also be willing to endure whatever punishment the world wants to throw at us for serving you to our end. Lord, give us these kinds of hearts. This mentality. That of a soldier preparing for battle. That we might give our lives to your service. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.